When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. As you all know, I am uh, world-renowned for my technological savvy, which is why I expect all of this to go off without a hitch. There won't be a single issue. I'm Perry. This is In Plain Sight. And to my right is absolutely no one. There was uh, an emergency at the gay sex factory, and Brandon was called in to deal with it. Uh, actually, as I'm recording this, he is somewhere in Rhode Island filming an episode of Primetime with Alex Stein inside the reality show Fish Tank house. And we weren't exactly sure if he was going to be here to be able to record episodes. This was kind of like a last-minute deal, so it worked out in a way where uh, he's not going to be back until early next week, leaving just little old me here surrounded by a bunch of equipment that I have absolutely no idea how to use. So I'm using my iPhone, and I'm kind of yelling in the hopes that it picks it up. I'm sure my neighbors very much appreciate the level of my voice. So this, I, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do for this episode. There is, I'm working on an episode about the history of the Secret Space Program, and I, I almost want to rush and finish that to, to be able to do that. But... That episode is going to be much better if Brandon is here and I have the full use of all the uh, equipment at our disposal. So I wanted to do something that I probably wouldn't do if he were here, which is I'm going to bootleg an audiobook. This is a book we've never really touched on, it's, uh, The Reincarnation of Edgar Cayce. And I figured I'm just going to read an entire chapter of this and hope that it doesn't get copyright struck by the crazy person who wrote this. Um, I like the, the quote on the, the cover of the book there. It says, David Wilcock is Edgar Casey" by uh, Yuri Geller. So this book was written by a dude named Winfrey in collaboration with David Wilcock. David likes to take a lot of the credit for this book but in the, the sort of, like, author's preface thing, they had to include an entire section called Regarding the Authorship. It says, this book is written from the perspective and experience of Winfrey, the I in the majority of the book, and where mentioned as such, the author. David Wilcock, as support partner, gave many hours of telephone interview time, assisted in some of the editing, contributed to section on his scientific research. God, Jesus, they got to stop calling that science. Reading, reading Google is not science. And permitted his channeled readings to be included. Uh, I, I believe the way David kind of uh, couches that whole interaction is vastly different, involves much more of him being by far the most important person in the equation. I selected chapter two for this excerpt, David Wilcock, From Academia to Interdimensional Student. And I think this is going to just kind of give a, 
a background on David. I, I've actually never read this. I'm kind of more interested in seeing what that background might be written like from the perspective of someone who's not David. We know what it's like from David. He's going to talk about the ESP book and how he was uh, abducted by aliens as a child and had all kinds of special abilities that made it so he couldn't have any friends because that's how children work. If you, if you have magic powers, you can't have any friends. Chapter 2. The circumstances of David Wilcox's life journey are highly relevant to our presentation conclusions in this book. There may be those who view Wilcox as an egomaniac. <laughs> well, we're off to a good start. Uh, I think it, it, it's kind of hard to undersell how gigantic late 90s, early 2000s, David, uh, how, how gigantic his ego was. The, the version we see currently is the version where he has been criticized by other people for two decades and encouraged to kind of get his ego in control, and we're still left with the monster before us. So I can only imagine this book is from, I think, 2004, something like that. So at the time, it must have been just truly monstrous. Anyway. There may be those who view Wilcock as an egomaniac and make the judgment that he is craving the limelight. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine why a guy who claims to be a reincarnated mystic would be craving the limelight. But he has never charged money for people to peruse his readings, articles, or five books involving many years of dedicated daily research. This is before any of his books were published, which means David is once again doing the thing where he's telling people the articles on his Divine Cosmos website are actual, real books. I, I mean, I suppose if you really want to get technical, they are some form of a book. But when most people think of the word book, I think they think of what you're all thinking of at this very moment, not uh, random ramblings from a 1999 WordPress site. I have watched him knowingly sabotage many career opportunities. Wait a second, this Ben Free guy kind of rocks. Uh, which almost included this book as well. David really can't get out of his own way. Over the period of time I have worked on this project with Wilcock, I have also watched him go through immense challenges with those in his immediate personal sphere. His mission has become very real to him. To be effective in his mission, he must sometimes try to lay his human frailties aside, but unfortunately, all too often, people perceive those frailties and use them to judge and discredit him. Well, not a lot has changed in the past 20 years. From 2004 to 2024, there's still people talking shit about him. I'm proud to carry on that torch. Wilcox, 30-year-old uh, in 2003 persona, is barely able to handle his mission, but there's no more time for him to mature. The message is too important, too urgent. Time is passing. He's being forced to rise to the occasion. Some may think that his readings come from his own consciousness and <laughs> that he has deluded himself in his own infatuation with Edgar Cayce. This, uh, this is much harsher than I would have anticipated. I'm... I'm quite fond of it. I'm also now realizing as I turn the page here that Brandon, who has read this previously, has actually annotated some of the uh, segments here. After working on this project with Wilcock for two years, I could testify from my own experience that nothing could be further from the truth. Wilcock's dream voice has consistently demonstrated its prognosticated power, and Wilcock very reluctantly announced his Casey connection only at the absolute insistence of his dream voice. His self-worth is constantly being challenged as he pales in Casey's long shadow 
and taking his position, Wilcock has had to stand up to the resistance of a skeptical world. And he kind of crumbled because, you know, 2004, he was claiming to be Edgar Casey, And then once he started getting a bit of pushback, he uh, completely abandoned that until he ran out of opportunities to make money. And then he re-picked back up the whole, hey, remember when I said I was Edgar Casey thing? And now, uh, now we're dealing with the consequences of that, which is he is both Edgar Casey and the Archangel Michael at the same time. Even those who are sure he's Casey have doubt as to his ability to handle worldly, worldly recognition. I'm, I'm, I'm only now kind of realizing how insane it is to have that big of an ego when you've accomplished absolutely nothing. This is, this is before he had ever really done anything. I guess maybe he'd been on coast to coast? Or no, I, I don't think that happened for a few years. So this is David, uh, his, his vision of himself, his self-worth is entirely derived from that Divine Cosmos website, which uh, I guess he must have thought he was crushing it. For a period of time, Wilcox stayed at the home of Joseph Myers, who was recognized as an expert on reincarnation. In addition to numerous print articles, nationwide radio shows, and nationwide television appearance on PM Magazine, Myers has given lectures on this subject at a metaphysical spiritual university founded by the Casey Institute in Virginia Beach. His website, reincarnation2002.com, Jesus Christ, compares photos and drawings, portraits of famous individuals such as U.S. presidents from one incarnation to the next, showing the remarkable physical and character similarities that can occur. Well, that's where David got that from. There's a, a lot in Synchronicity where he would take a famous ruler from a bygone era and compare him to a modern counterpart. I always thought they looked nothing alike, but I guess Joseph Myers is to blame for fostering that trait in David. Myers had Wilcox's photo comparison with Casey up on his site, but eventually he took it down. When one of his web visitors asked why, Myers answered as follows. You have asked a question that is not easy for me to answer. Edgar Casey meant and does mean very, very much to me. And I have no reservations, reservations spelled wrong, by the way, about the belief that David Wilcox is his return. In fact, from the standpoint of supporting evidence, there is not a more evidential example than his. He lived with my wife, Mary, and myself for several months while he was doing some writing. The reason that I took his case off the website was because I became convinced that it was not in his best interest yet for him to try and cope with being recognized as Casey's return. As this book progresses, various aspects of Wilcox's life will be interspersed so that his human side is always taken into account. <laughs> He's got a humanized, but he's like a fucking third world country dictator. You got to show the elements of David that are still good. I include insertions by Wilcock throughout the book, which resulted from telephone interviews or email correspondence, allowing parts of the story to be presented in his own words. The following excerpt documents the time period from his college graduation until the time he started doing readings at the demand of his dream voice. It's always good to let the voices in your head tell you what to do. They, they should be able to override your common sense and guide you <laughs> through a series of very poor decisions. The subjective voice is David Wilcox. Oh, here's, here's old baby boy writing. I graduated from the State University of New York at New Pulse with a BA in psychology in June 1995. I tried to make a quick transition to the Naropa Institute in Boulder, Colorado for entry into their transpersonal psychology master's degree program. This led to me making a jostling, sleepless, two-and-a-half-day journey via Amtrak train out to the hot, dry boulder to meet with the Naropa admission staff in person. 
I <laughs> I love this story. This this is really a good glimpse at uh, how maniacal he really was. This is when he gives that guy a whole list of books and demands to be quizzed on it. I furnished them a list of 300 metaphysical spiritual books that I had read throughout college in my spare time, and was quite serious when I said that I would discourse on the contents of any volume in the list, yet they never accepted my challenge. A week later, I was turned down and in writing without explanation. I'll provide that explanation. You acted like a fucking nutjob. Of course, they were going to let you in their college. Though my financial situation appeared to have been a major deterrent. Feeling quite disillusioned, I returned to New York to my mother's house in Scotia and had a series of grudgingly unpleasant temp jobs, which included an assignment at a fiberglass producing factory. With glass fibers embedded throughout my entire face, I quit on the first. I quit on the first day. That's the day that I know and love. When the tough get going, I quit and I cry and I, I become an alien. Uh, so he quits on the first day, came home to a dream of many transparent laboratory mice being microwaved into a puddle of liquid, a metaphor for my own feelings of how the life of my dreams, a marvelous graduate school experience in Boulder, had dissolved into the reality of toxic, dangerous warehouse and factory labor jobs. He must have been a really shitty psychologist if he had a literal degree in it, and the best job he could get was at a fiberglass warehouse. The mouse had definitely not found the cheese he was looking for. Amidst my crushing... Jesus Christ. The, so the, the first, like, two pages of this chapter were the, the actual author, and then this brief insert from David, I think, runs the rest of the chapter. It's good to know he's always been quite wordy. At least that hasn't uh, changed from the past. Amidst my crushingly depressing labors, my mother strongly and continually pressured me to move out of the house and start my own life. I had lived on campus throughout all four years of college and had a great fear of independent living after hearing the endless stories of college students who survived on bread, peanut butter, pasta, and spaghetti sauce once they got their own place. I love that he's terrified of being poor. This is one of those things I think everyone kind of has to go through. Like, you, you probably should have a few months where uh, your life is fucking terrible. If not many years. I, I strung that phase out for about 20 years. It's good for you. However, my mother's pressure proved greater than my fear of living on my own, and my dreams continually advised me to move back to my college town. So one day, I literally threw all that I owned into my new used, I'm not sure I know what that sentence means, I guess new to him, his new used 1988 white Subaru hatchback, the car of lesbians nationwide and drove from Scotia back to New Paltz, spending my first week sleeping on the kitchen floor of my fellow jazz musician friend, Adam Makovsky. The very next night I arrived, my college buddy Eric got me a job as a delivery man for My Hero Pizzeria, and I soon moved into a boarding house on Ennis Avenue, where nine people shared a single refrigerator and the rent was only $220 a month. After a few months of labor and toil, I scored the first of a series of jobs in mental health, my chosen profession. At this point, I was still actively working towards getting a PhD in psychology, and internships were the best way to go. A psychiatric ward seemed to be the best place to start, and, God, he always, every time he talks about this place, he has to mention how much money he was paid. And $7.35 an hour seemed quite good enough. It was by far the highest wage I had ever received. After an invigorating, heartbreaking, and highly challenging two and a half 
two and a half weeks. He, uh, Mr. Wilcock has a rather brittle spirit, as best I can tell. Because we got one day at the fiberglass factory, a week or so being a pizza guy, and two and a half weeks in his chosen profession. I think he kind of just didn't want to work, which, no, no fault there. I don't want to work either, but uh, if you need the money, sometimes you got to do it. I was spontaneously fired for being too friendly to the patients. That's usually a euphemism that means he was molesting people. Now, I'm not saying he was molesting people because I can't say that, but I am heavily implying it. I collapsed into my Subaru. <laughs> Oh, fuck, that's a terrible place to be as a dude, just uh, 20-something years old, fired from your job and crying in a Subaru outback. I collapsed into my Subaru and sobbed in the parking lot for over half an hour, looking out one last time at the meandering family of five wild turkeys, which were usually visible from the patient's smoking balcony. But there's a bit of a synchronicity. David has uh, regrouped with the turkeys. I'm almost positive that in previous iterations of this story, he did not describe that time at the mental hospital as only being two and a half weeks long. I had assumed he worked at a mental hospital for several months, because if this is the case, that means I've actually worked at a mental hospital longer than David Wilcox by like a significant margin. I was there for a few months. Uh, right, he collapsed into a Subaru, crying, looking at turkeys. Uh, I felt all of my dreams and aspirations sliding away from me. This was my first real internship after the suicide crisis hotline in college, and I hadn't made it past the end of my third week. Dave and I had a lot more in common than I thought, because I also worked at the uh, suicide crisis hotline, still do, in fact, on occasion. I drove back to my parents' home, unemployed, seeking some time to relax. <laughs> yeah, after, you know, I, uh, I do that too. After two hard weeks of... Uh, not doing my job. I also like to quit and go uh, go get a little R&R. &R. During the Thanksgiving holiday, before arriving, I stopped at a bookstore in Albany where I strongly uh, was strongly guided to purchase the book From Elsewhere by Dr. Scott Mendelker. I also perused a copy of Book 3 of the Law of One series. At that time, the Law of One material did not attract me. It seemed highly complex, arcane, and loaded with specific jargon, so I set it back on the shelf. Little did I know how important it would become later for me. Mandelker's book brought me to a profound awakening. It discussed the idea that souls of people on Earth can come from a variety of different origins, and some of them are angelic or extraterrestrial in nature. These so-called wanderers volunteered to be here, perhaps thousands of years ago, and had long since forgotten that they ever made a choice in the matter, having gone through a series of human lives trapped in the Earth's reincarnated pattern. I'm unsure why he's going off on this tangent in the chapter that's supposed to be about his uh, childhood. Most of the time when I describe my childhood to somebody, I don't give a book report in the middle of it, but that's just me. Some 100 million of them, or one out of every 60 people, had come to Earth to try and help humanity at this crucial period in its evolution. Their home vibrations were, in most cases, millions of years more advanced than humanity in terms of linear time evolution. I was highly intrigued by the possibility that I might be a wanderer, but I needed proof. I visited my best friend Jude Goldman, who recommended that I try automatic writing. Well, Jude, you are partially to blame for the last 20 years, then. 
he recommended doing that to get a message from, uh, from spirit. Once I became sufficiently deep into meditation, a force seemed to take possession of my writing arm and abruptly scribbled out a series of characters on the paper without me having any control over the process. It turned out to be a Bible quote, namely Ecclesiastes 2.22 to 3.13. I had never studied the Bible consciously, yet it seemed that some part of me was very well aware of it. When I finally located the faded black Bible in the late night darkness, the first words I read were, For what hath a man toiled and labored under the sun? This too is meaningless. Well, that's a bit dark. I, I, I don't like that part of the Bible. I, I support the, the more happy portions, along with some of the fire and brimstone, but I think uh, that, that nihilistic portion is probably taken a touch out of context. To eat and drink and be happy in one's toil, this is the grace of God. There we go. I knew, I knew it'd come back around. The passage spoke directly to the issue that had just befallen me, the loss of my mental health job and my desire for graduate school, and essentially said that it was meaningless, so long as I could find something that would make me happy and pay the bills. My Thanksgiving vacation finally came to an end. I returned to New Paltz, and I got my first job working with developmentally disabled persons in a day treatment center, earning regrettable $5.77 an hour for serious work. So you got like a 30% pay reduction here. Well, it, that does seem fair for a guy who can't hold down a job for two weeks. I probably would start him at the, the minimum as well. Due to my psychology background, I was assigned to the toughest part of the whole center. No, you were assigned that because no one liked you. The, the person everyone dislikes the most gets assigned to the shitty job. He was assigned to the behavior rooms, where the job was often more akin to that of an umpire than an instructor. The, that following January, I again came upon very hard times, this time through a phone bill that was far more expensive than I could pay for my low weight. Uh, I can't tell if he's skipping the part that he's also discussed in other books where the reason he was fired from this job with the developmentally disabled people is he attacked one of them. I believe he put one of them in a chokehold, which, as you all know, David has five black belts, so it was a, it was a very dangerous situation. Back to the phone bill. I felt that my question, am I a wanderer, had been dramatically answered just a few months ago, but in spite of the mental knowledge that I was a wanderer, I still felt alienated, and the feeling of being separated from God burned in my soul. I demanded an answer in an as open and dramatic fashion as possible. If I really am a wanderer, then I need proof, and I need it right now. Nothing seemed to happen that night, and I went to bed long before my roommate Eric returned home from his job delivering pizzas. Little did I know that my question would be answered the next morning. Although he had no idea that I had prayed for an answer the night before, Eric had a dream in which I was present. In the dream, a robed and bearded man emerged from a UFO on a circular platform and spoke of the earth being transformed into a paradise and said that his group was our long-lost brothers here to assist us. In Eric's dream, I approached the man and we suddenly seemed to know each other. The man threw his arm around my shoulder. Again, he's supposed to be describing his childhood here, and, and he's describing not one of his own dreams. He's describing the dream of one of his roommates. In Eric's dream, I approached the man right right. He hugged him very gaily, uh, and with a serious expression on his face said, It is very important that you know that he is one of us. I took this to be confirmation of my status as a wanderer. Dr. Delker's book, which is dog shit, by the way, I had to go through it when I was doing the synchronicity stuff, the Mandelker book, well, it's, it's of the quality you've all grown to expect from a work uh, that David Wilcock recommends. 
Mandelker's book had mentioned the Law of One series quite prominently, and after this powerful dream suggestion, I decided that it was definitely a good idea to follow Mandelker's recommendation to study the words of Ra, Law of One. I thus began my immersion into the Law of One series in January 1996. Then, almost exactly one year after my automatic writing experience, I secured my own intuitive compact, uh, contact with my dream voice or higher self in November 1996. I then spent an entire year developing a daily working rapport with my dream voice, source of guidance in private, while publicly working through a long series of low-wage uh, low jobs, primarily caring for developmentally disabled people. The readings began to associate the mental health jobs with the concept of repeating high school when it was no longer necessary. The reading allayed my fears of academic failure by telling me, wearing your cap and gown, we are peaceful and PhD. He's really a fan of credentials, and I think we can kind of see that here, where he was rejected from all these graduate schools, but that's, uh, you know, that wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault that he was not a good enough student. It was the universe working against him. But who needs a PhD when you can dream that an alien gives you a PhD? That's pretty much the same thing. It was okay to leave mental health, as I would not require any further college education. I was now a direct full-time apprentice with beings of higher intelligence. <laughs> oh, God, his parents must have been so pissed. Oh, no, I quit my job. I'm working for aliens now. I was now a direct full-time apprentice of the uh, beings of higher intelligence who were transforming the way I ate, the way I exercised, the way I thought about myself and others, and the way I thought about science consciousness and the nature of the universe. I would have my PhD, but in a course no earthly institutions could provide. Once I decided to leave mental health, my dream voice precisely guided me to a great job at the Mahawk Mountain House, a nearby five-star luxury resort hotel that was absolutely breathtaking. This is the place where David, he, uh, he bragged about how when he worked the phone here, he was able to book the most reservations of anyone ever. I highly doubt the Mahawk Mountain House kept track of how many reservations people have booked. I'm guessing David's boss just wanted him to shut the fuck up, so he's like, yeah, you're you're the best you're the best ever, Dave. During the day I would be maintaining a composed, sober, and compassionate public persona on the phones and reservations, while at night I would be reading everything I could about UFOs, metaphysics, ancient civilizations, and the law of one. And most importantly, each morning I would awaken to another conscious dialogue with my dream voice. Where I, uh, where I receive many startling prophecies of personal and global events, as well as gorgeous streams of poetic, intuitive information. As one of many examples of personal prophecies in early 1997, while I was still working in mental health, my dream voice told me that my housemate, housemate Eric would be happy to know that his student loan check for New Paltz had come in. This seemed completely off base as Eric had already graduated from New Paltz and gone on to graduate studies at the University of Albany. However, about a month later, the New Paltz Bursar's Office was being remodeled. I've never seen that word before in my entire fucking life. Uh, and while moving a file cabinet from one area to another, a letter addressed to Eric was found behind it. Inside the envelope was an uncashed Stafford loan check for $900 with Eric's name on it. The check was still good. Eric made sure I was sitting down before he told me the news. Through studying and applying the work of William Bowman's Adventures Beyond the Body, I perfected the art of out-of-body travel in the summer of 1997 while working at the lavish Mahonk Mountain House. This led to a direct meeting with beings on the other side who told me with great, uh, with great seriousness 
you know you have to move, don't you? A reading that came through just before this said, strap on your parachute hat, Virginia would be a nice destination. It, it's got to be exhausting to live this way, where just any time a dream tells you to do something, you got to do it. If my dream tells me to move, I'm not doing it. Indeed, I had already been considering a move to Virginia Beach, as the Association for Research and Enlightenment, or ARE, at the only university on the entire East Coast where metaphysical topics could be studied on the path to a master's degree in transpersonal psychology. I don't think, uh, I don't think it's a legitimate institution allowing you to study aliens. I don't think you can get a degree in aliens, as much fun as it would be. This was also, incidentally, a university originally founded by Edgar Cayce in the late 1920s to early 1930s. It also had to shut down shortly after that. However, for the moment, I had a great job at a top-class resort. Yeah, yeah, everyone knows it's impossible to find service jobs. Uh, this, this resort was a prime destination for some of the wealthiest people in the world due to its pristine lakeside setting in the Shawangunk Mountains. The, the very beautiful Shawangunk Mountains. It's beautiful Victorian rooms, lounges, and verandas, and more than 2,000 miles of hiking trails. Again, this is a chapter about his childhood, and now we're just getting the, the trip report, uh, like the, the Hotel.com review of the Mahonk Mountain House. Although my clerical performance was often quite bad, I was booking more reservations than anyone else in the department. I repeatedly cited the spiritual health healing benefits of such a lush setting. I had no intentions of leaving. However, just a short time after my guidance to move came through, my entire life in New York started falling apart. This seems to be a, a kind of common theme here. Is he, he gets about a month or two of something, and then it all falls apart. I'm sure it's uh, none of his doing, though. Spontaneously, my landlady asked for a one-year legal commitment. Mahonk gave me a seasonal layoff with the opportunity to work switchboard over the winter, and my friendship with a woman named Angelica completely collapsed. With just about $700 to my name, I arranged for my pilgrimage to Virginia Beach. Shortly after my arrival, several ARE members, including at least two high-ranking staff personnel, recognized me as the spitting image of a young Edgar Casey, and almost dared to wonder if it were indeed possible. I queried my dream voice. I queried, all right. I queried my dream voice in November of 1997 regarding my connection with Casey. I was told that I was Casey's reincarnation. Well, there you have it, folks. He asked himself, David checked with David, and David agrees with David. In this remarkable session, I was told that I was meant to deliver an urgent message to mankind. I was asked to assert my connection with Casey as a means of getting attention to get the word out. Uh, <laughs> Brandon just wrote in the margins of this page, reincarnated publicity stunt. I think... Uh, I think we are back to the actual author of this book now. It should be noted that this Casey connection was not an identity that Wilcott wished to declare. Up until this moment, he had never even thought that the words he brought through each morning would be shared with others. Yet it was made clear to Wilcott by his dream voice that among many other topics, he was meant to disclose the esoteric significance of the prophecies of Jesus regarding ascension and rapture and the transition of planet Earth from the third density to the fourth density. Well, David's already fourth density. He's waiting on the rest of us to catch up. And I think we all get to fifth density, the, the one where we can hover and shoot lightning from our hands. David was told that his process is already underway and is scheduled to culminate in the very near future. Well, I, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I guess 20-something years is the near future. 
Needless to say, Wilcock went into a state of shock and disbelief. He began an extensive study of the Edgar Casey readings and even made acquaintance with some of those still living who had been connected with Casey when he was alive. Not only was David asked to validate his Casey connection, but he was instructed by his dream voice to compile his research in metaphysics. The goal was to provide scientific evidence to back up his channel prophecies regarding the eminent transformation of the Earth and its inhabitants. Although Casey's work made an impact on humanity and convinced millions of the realities of reincarnation and other dimensions, I don't think that's true, uh, there was no way to explain the phenomenon of his powers scientifically. Uh, I have a way. It, it's lies. He's lying to everyone. That's the power. His power is lying. And yet Casey himself predicted that in the future there could be scientific verification for spirituality. In a reading done in 1939, Casey was asked if it would be possible to prove psychic and spiritual phenomena by scientific means. Could such phenomena be measured by instruments and proven mathematically? Casey Source answered this question with a definitive yes and said that uh, when the same interest is shown in spiritual phenomenon as is given to material phenomenon, then it would become as meterable as any other phase of human experience. David Wilcock believes that the scientific validation for spiritual phenomenon to which Edgar Casey referred exists today. In addition to the channeled wisdom that Wilcock is bringing forward, he has freely published online his Convergence series of books in which he compiles and explains this current scientific data. Wow, so I, I'm actually, uh, I'm reading Source Field Investigations. I'm going to do another series of episodes on that. And I was kind of thinking that was actually the first time where David gave out information that wasn't just entirely recycled but it actually seems like he probably just recycled all of Sourcefield from the Convergence series. I, I criticize the man, but I can't really hate on the fact that he managed to write one book, but he sold it three times. That's very impressive. So he's working on that Convergence series, right? He believes that his data can back up the predicted dimensional shift and scientifically as well explain the miracles of Casey. In addition, within the context of this new science, Wilcock believes that technologies such as free energy, anti-gravity, super light-speed propulsion, and teleportation are possible using existing materials available on Earth. Well, he may believe that, but his negative bank account shows otherwise. I think if those things existed, he'd probably be turning a profit. Furthermore, Wilcock offers a scientific explanation for the spiritual significance of pyramid geometry. Yeah, he sure does. As our story unfolds, we will make the case that Wilcock himself, in a previous lifetime as Ra-Ta, actually helped to create the Great Pyramid in Egypt. And now, in this life as David Wilcock, he's revealing the science behind the pyramid's power. Little did anyone know in 1939 that Casey might return to fulfill the very prophecy he made that day in the reading for client number 2012, which, interestingly, is the end date of the mind calendar in the year when Wilcox predicted dimensional shift. There you have it, folks, chapter two of that book. I, I guess I probably don't have to say, but the world, actually, it did not end in 2012. And uh, David actually extended that date. It was going to happen, if not in 2012, it was definitely going to happen before the end of 2014. And once again, I'm sorry to say, but the world did not end in 2014. So then he extended it to, I believe, 2020, and then after that, 2022, and now we're uh, sometime in 2025, Memorial Day 2025, the world will end. So everyone, stay tuned. I appreciate if you actually stuck through and listened to this the whole time. Thank you. I regret my decision to not get 
drink before starting this. I usually have my, my seltzer next to me and I forgot to do it, but I was too afraid to start recording over because I don't know how to edit footage. So kinda, I, I kinda had to one take this uh, because I have no talent when it comes to technological matters. That's what Brandon is for. And hopefully, I, I mean, I guess you guys will have seen by the time this comes out, we will all see uh, Brandon become a star on Fish Tank. So uh, once he gets back, we'll we'll talk about that. But anyways, thanks for tuning in. Hootie hoo.